And just because you got a holiday let in France or whatever you got, don't think you're a big time because you went. Right, we'll crack on. You briefed him before this, right? No, I haven't. No, he sent me a direct message saying you're a bit of a tosser, but... Is it bad? I mean, I just want the world to appreciate some decent art. <laughs> yes, Jamie. Great yes. Great art. <laughs> you're a bit like John Frenel. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called a lot worse, I'll take that. So many years of my life have been prepped to win a World Cup and then finally to do that was amazing. And there at the door at seven o'clock once we finished our meal was Brian Kidd and Sir Alex Ferguson. Love you boys. Love you <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Broken Trophy podcast. And on today's episode, a very special guest. We've got former Manchester United, West Ham and Stoke midfielder, Luke Chadwick. Luke, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks for having me. And Good you, man. You missed out of Cambridge. I did. I did. There was a few clubs, but I'm sure we'll cover them all in due course, but I, I sort of listed the first few. But uh, Luke, you're a product of your, um, or you're on the pod, should I say, uh, because of your sort of t- your Twitter friendliness, I would say. Um, we got chatting on Twitter a few weeks ago when you kindly followed us back because you're on a little campaign to drive up your followers yourself. So thanks very much for that. Thanks for the following. Thanks for coming on. But uh, let's start with with your Twitter, because you're quite a unique sports person, I would say. And you're just so nice on Twitter. Is, is Twitter good fun for you? Do you have a good experience on the social media platforms? Yeah, I have been enjoying it. To be fair, it's turned into an absolute um, pressure cooker now, though, trying <laughs> to build up the followers. I'm just run out of... Um, run out of banter I ain't got much more to say on it so I think the, um, the followers will start drying up quite quickly so I'm not, I'm not counting my chickens on it going up much higher I don't know I think you've got a really good strategy because like there's so many like just trying to be cool like endorse all their products and stuff whereas you just properly engage with people it's quite good fun yeah, I haven't got any um, products to endorse, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. And I think I've got the mo- the majority of my followers have come from giving shirts away, which I'm also running out of really quickly. So. <laughs> That's a lot of shirts you've got to give away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who, So just remind, so the, there was a bet, wasn't it, with a mate that you get a certain amount of followers or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a year to get to um, 20,000. So right. to be honest with you, when I took the bet, I didn't really know how it worked, but it took me ages to get sort of any amount. So I was delighted to, to win the bet, but I certainly won't be taking another one when it comes to doing it. <laughs> Love it. Amazing. And have you had any bad experiences on it? Because a lot of people, again, a lot of sports people come in for a lot of, a lot of hammerings, don't they, on social? How, how have you found that side of things? Yeah, to be honest, I don't, I'm sort of a bit older now. I've had a bit, yeah. of, a bit of stick on there, but I ain't that bothered by it, to be honest with you. They're going to be pushing ahead with it and you're not going to, you know, sort of come off there or anything like that. You're just going to keep ploughing on. Yeah, like I say, I've sort of, I've won my bet now. We've sort of set up on there. We're sort of really trying to grow our organisation. So that was another reason of, of going on Twitter, which is fantastic to sort of spread the message of what we're doing. And obviously just to um, have a mess about on there sometimes and try and try and make someone laugh. But probably not all that many people. <laughs> I've quite enjoyed it. Yeah, not, I think it's great. There's so much pap on there that is, including <laughs> uh, yeah, Tom. Tom will be tweeting about his cricket or something or other. It's quite a lot of boring stuff. How, I've got to ask, who's in that photograph behind you in the yellow football shirt? Oh, that is um, Gary Clayton. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a cat when I started going to watch Cambridge United as a schoolboy. He was my um, favourite player, and I got when I was a kid. My dad got me a picture, the same as the one behind me there. 
but I lost it. So when I played for Cambridge United, there was a group called uh, the Hundred Years of Coconuts, which are quite historians of the club, and they got in contact with Gary and got me a new one. So that's because of them. Oh, right. There's two Luke. Best love wishes, them. Gary Clayton, which is lovely. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> I love yeah. how that's got pride of place and, and not your, your your wife and, and family. <laughs> no, I think I've turned them underground. <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the trophy I can just see what's that a replica of oh, that is that's a trophy from I probably shouldn't have it in my house well, I used to work at Cambridge United and we won a tournament and I ended up bringing a trophy home and never got it round yeah, yeah, never, club, give, so never give it back hopefully no one's watching from there was it coming around to get it back off me. don't worry Cambridge is quite a niche audience I think we'll be alright <laughs> brilliant I spend most of my time now at work meetings looking at everyone like what's on their shelves behind them <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of an insight insight into the person, isn't it? The Broken Trophy Podcast. Catch us on Twitter at The Broken Trophy and on Instagram at Broken Trophy Pods. So, so Luke, I mean, we were just talking about about it before we came on air, but what, what are you doing now in football? I know you're still involved in football with the to the Football Factory. Just tell us a little bit of, of how you got involved with that and what, what that's all about. Yeah, so it's called the Football Fun Factory. As the name suggests, it's around fun football experiences. So... I got involved with a couple of other people I worked with when I worked at Cambridge United and we came away from the professional game and set up something different, which is purely around kids enjoying playing football. It's not a development programme as such. We're not making kids incredible footballers to go and play for an academy or become a professional. It's purely around having fun and using football as as a vehicle to develop really positive life skills like teamwork, communication, sportsmanship. So that, in our sessions, that's what we celebrate and praise probably more than someone scoring an incredible goal or showing incredible skills. It purely is around positivity and making yeah. football for all, not just sort of the gifted players. It's for every, every, absolutely everyone, whether it's a five-year-old girl, it's the first time they've ever played football or a 11-year-old boy who plays for an academy team but also comes to supplement that to some of our sessions. So it's a hugely rewarding role and something that I do really love doing. It's, yeah, it sounds amazing. That's, to be honest with you, that's the biggest bugbear. I mean, as I coach rugby, Tom coaches football. That's been the biggest bugbear that I've had with my daughter playing both sports is that kind of rugby focuses on that on that element until a certain point and then it progresses. Um, yeah. but you don't, it's, football seems way, way, way more competitive from a really early age. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is sort of managing the difference. So the, it's the coach's responsibility to make sure, like I mentioned before, whether it's your first time you've ever played or you're a really talented player, that everyone has the same experience and has a, has a fantastic time. We don't judge our sessions on who's played the best or other kids getting better. We judge it when they're leaving every session, they've got a big smile on their face and they want to come back the week after to enjoy another training session. That sounds really good. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, was that... What was it really important to you to create that kind of environment? I mean, obviously you've come through the sort of the more competitive side, I guess, coming through academies and stuff. I mean, is it sort of part of your own experience a little bit that you wanted to create an environment like this? Yeah, I think it strips it all back, the whole game completely back to when I remember me playing football when I was five, six, seven, when I didn't really have teams back then. I, I'd just yeah. play purely for the yeah, enjoyment of, of playing. I don't remember anyone telling me what to do or giving me an incredible coaching tip about a play, but I just loved playing with a smile on my face. Obviously, being involved 
in professional football. I had an incredible career and loved every moment. Well, obviously a lot of ups and downs, but thoroughly enjoyed my experience. I think working in the academy, sort of how that is for a while, there's some, like, the kids are incredible footballers and wonderful staff that work there, but maybe it gets professionalised a little bit too early. And yeah. are the, I don't sure all the children are there because they love it. It's sort of, they're thinking about where it ends and they're not enjoying the journey maybe as much as, as you should do or can do. So yeah. I think stepping away from professional football has been nice for me. It's been nice to step away. And then this is, like I say, it's just stripped football right back and reminds me a long, long time ago now when I started playing football purely for the fun of it. It was never about playing for Man United, which I did a couple of times, obviously lucky enough to do that. But it was just around developing a love, like the, the earliest experience in football should just be around developing a love for a game. So when you're yeah. 40 years old like me, you're still stumbling around the village green playing in the village wow. team. That, that was my question. Who are you playing for now? So I get the, because so, so we've, we've been lucky enough to interview lots of sports people and they seem to come into two camps. One who kind of stop and then go, that's it, I'm never playing again. You know, I can't, if I can't play, you know, at this level, I'm not playing again. And others who just feel like they could be 70 years old and they're still going to be turning out for their local team. You know, the whatever fourth team of whatever. You can just, where are you on that scale? I get the impression you're still playing. Yeah, so I um, I went and played for my local village team. That's called Barrington. It's just a, a tiny little village. Beautiful place, beautiful place. And I, I started about four years ago and we were in Division 5A of the Cams County League, which is a... <laughs> the lowest possible league in Cambridgeshire football, but we've, we've climbed the league since then and now we're up to League 1A. My, my influence in the game is certainly waning a bit now the, the old legs are going, but I've, I've had to um, step away because my eldest son, he's a scholar at Cambridge United. He's, yeah. a, he's actually a goalkeeper, so God knows where he got that from, but <laughs> wow. I, don't, I don't want to worry about that now. <laughs> he's just gone on loan to St. Neat's Town. Right. So they right. play on a Friday, on a Saturday afternoon as well, so I've had to step away, but last week I joined in training with St. Neat's, so I'm getting a bit of pressure put on me to maybe step back up, but to be honest mm. with you, the level may be a little bit too high for me in this day. And age. But to get, to get Who that, knows? To get, that never one, never. to get that one game with your son. Yeah, yeah well, I actually played for him, played with him once before. So it gives me, I do want to do it again because it gives me more opportunity to shower him without <laughs> feeling um, sort of bad about it for not tidying his room so I can take it out on him on the football pitch. So everything I hear about football is that the goalkeepers are a whole different breed. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not they're not quite all there in the same way as the outfield players. What what's happened to your son? I don't know. I've no idea. It's worrying. <laughs> I don't sleep at night worrying about how he turned into a goalkeeper. I think it was the reason he became a goalkeeper. All the confidence he got from saving my shots out in the back garden. <laughs> fair, fair enough. But, um, <laughs> actually, brings me to one of the bits that I wanted to talk to you about, which I don't quite understand. Well, football does does it very differently to any other sport is around the loan system. Because you kind of look at it and you kind of, some people, it looks like it kind of works pretty well. They go on loan and they come back and they're whole different players and, you know, you send them away and it makes them into men or whatever it is. Other, it doesn't seem to work. What's it, what's it like as a player being sent on loan? It's a bit, I had a fair few loan moves throughout my career. The first one I went to was when I was a young player at Man United. I went on loan to 
Antwerp in Belgium to play out there. And that was nice. sort of my first nice experience of first team football. And I, I absolutely loved it, both obviously <laughs> as a football player and as a going out as a 18, 19 year old boy to live in a different country on your own. So it was obviously That's incredible. Nice. Talk us through that a bit more because football, bit, yeah, <laughs> whatever. But the, uh, the 18 year old in a new country, presumably you're, you're still getting a half decent salary and you've got beer on tap. I'm assuming at that age, enjoying yourself. What's that like? Yeah, it was fun. Like, there's three lads there. We lived in a, a hotel the season after my girlfriend come and live with me. So it weren't as much fun, but I did actually, my football tend to improve quite a lot though. So it's, <laughs> I don't know if that was just coincidence or what, but um, it was um, like, in all seriousness, it was an incredible life experience to, as well as a football experience. Cause like, you know, there is the opportunity to go out, but you had to sort of learn for yourself that yeah. when's the right time to do that? When's the wrong time to do that? It was, it was a case of growing up quite quickly and it was, and it, like, I loved it out there. I saw it as an, because it was the first chance to play in front of a crowd on a regular yeah, basis. Yeah. And I scored a goal early and a crowd was singing my name and it was a proper European atmosphere with a, the smoke bombs and it was like the atmosphere was electric. I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. So it was um, incredible. The other times I've been on loan, I went on loan to Reading and Burnley while I was at Man United. And that was a case I, I already knew. It's not the same. Yeah, not the same. same. Reading and Majeski compared to Antwerp. Yeah. I'm struggling with it. Do you want to do? A lot of roundabouts near the Majeski, isn't there? Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> that was more of a case of, um, I knew that my time up, my time at Manchester United was over and it was just sort of putting myself in a shop window, maybe to stay at one of them clubs and also to just to find a, a different journey to stay in the professional game. So there's loads of different reasons why players would go on loan. I thoroughly enjoyed all the loans I went on because it was, all my dream was, was to be a footballer. Yeah, so I was yeah. still doing that, whether it was at Antwerp, Man United, Reading or Burnley, I was still a footballer every day and I really enjoyed the difference experiences that I had yeah, how, does, how does it work does it, is it literally you sort of turn up at training one day and um, you know whether it's the manager Sir Alex Ferguson or part of his staff they just come up and say look you know we want to send you out on loan this club, club are interested how, you know how, does, it, does it go quite quickly like that after that sort of conversation yeah, that does really depends. Like I was sort of quite a low maintenance player, so I would just I'd be told to go somewhere, and I'd just automatically just go. I think some people might, if they don't want to go, they they don't. You don't have to yeah. go. You can sort of source your own. Like the agents get involved, and you can find a club to go on loan to. Yeah. With the the Antwerp one, they sort of said, "This is what we want you to do. This is your sort of pathway, a chance of playing football and coming back to the first team." With the others, it was pretty much my decision that these clubs are interested, yeah, I want to go to that one, so I'll go there for the season. With Burnley, it was a case of um, Stan Turner was the manager and he was big mates with Sir Alex. So Sir Alex sort of asked me to do him a favour and go and help Stan out. So I was, I was more than happy to apply. <laughs> but and was, it, and was it Stoke where it went permanent? Yes, yeah, so Stoke, I, when I left Manchester United permanently, I signed for West Ham. Yeah. I signed for West Ham permanently. Then from West Ham, I went on loan again to Stoke and then Stoke turned into a permanent move. So so were you there at the time of Peter Crouch or not? No, no. So I was there before that when the club was still in the championships. I think Crouch would have gone there when they Premiership. got promoted to the, to the Premier League. And I guess what 
obviously Man U is going to be quite high in your kind of, and obviously Cambridge in your kind of, you know, in your heart, so to speak. But how many, do you, do you still look for the scores at those clubs as well on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah. I do. I look for all, I've got no sort of bad word to say about any club that I went to, really. So I still always hope the best for them and hope they do. It's a strange situation, really, because whenever I tended to leave a football club, Within the next two seasons, they'd be in the Premier League. And I don't know if that <laughs> got them started moving that way, or it was a reason they got. Well, after I went, they suddenly got there. So it's been the good to see the majority of them have great success after <laughs> me leaving. <laughs> Love it. Well, you know, take, take the credit for it. I yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to put it on your resume. Definitely. <laughs> But it's amazing the enthusiasm you've got for for for, for, your, for football. It really comes out, and as Tom and I have interviewed you know, quite a few people now, and it's it really is two camps. There's kind of the ones who see it more more as a job, and they just happen to be really good at it, but it's a job. Versus the ones who you know you can imagine still really want to go out there and play and and do it. Yeah, I think that the, the longevity of football and sort of loving it throughout your life is trying to not let it turn into a job, trying to keep that attitude of it, it was something that you've always loved doing regardless of whether you got paid for it or not. I think it's easy and I've probably had times when you're having bad times when you're injured or not where it can just sort of turn into just being a job but I think you've got to try and put all the the sort of bad times behind you to carry on. I can completely understand that you say you spoke to a lot of people and they probably don't like the game that much anymore <laughs> because it is... It's not always a nice environment, football, but if you can sort of step away from that and separate yourself and remind yourself of why you played it and why you're involved in it, I think you've got more chance of having longevity in the game. And do you find you watch football as a fan watching it and enjoying it, or do you, or are you watching it and kind of being more critical about the runs, the positions or whatever? Where are you on that kind of scale? Yeah, not really. I think I just watch it as a fan and just enjoy watching the game. Like I didn't probably wouldn't have watched as much as I did if I haven't got two boys that are obviously football mad. So it's, it's always on the telly now. And so I'm, I'm always watching it, but I don't sort of, I have a go at the kids when they sort of start slagging a player off. I'm saying it's a Premier League footballer. So you can't do it better than him. I think <laughs> you can get sucked into that a lot too easily as well. Yeah, yeah it's true. I've never liked to, slag off a footballer that's probably a lot better than I ever was when I watched it on the telly. So it's um, it's bet. easy to get sucked in as that. I remember, I can't watch football down the pub when you see the old old fellas that have all had about 12 pints inside them and they're saying that they could do a lot better yeah, than yeah, a yeah. That's exactly it. To be fair, you know, we, we get the joy of watching Saints down here. and It, it can be quite challenging watching Saints yeah. teams. And, uh, just yeah. just when they get you lull you into a full sense of security like they did towards the end of last season yeah. then they then they lose 1-0 to Crystal Palace what don't that they? happen? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> just, I actually thought just, that's, a, that's a guaranteed three points out yeah. it's a season it's never guaranteed when Saints are never, never actually, guaranteed anyway that's <laughs> on The Broken Trophy Podcast subscribe and download all of our episodes from Apple Podcasts and Spotify but just just you're talking about you know that joy of playing football Luke and I mean take us back to when you were a kid and playing football and, and sort of how, how you got into football was it was it just all your mates from school just love playing football how, how was it for you? Yeah I think my earliest memories of playing football would have just been in the back garden I come from a tiny little village in um, the south of Cambridge where I lived in quite a small sort of council house but there was a big massive garden behind so I spent a lot of time 
just playing in the back garden on my own without a shadow of a doubt from the ages of sort of six to 16 when I left home to went to go to Man United. I was spent the most time just playing football by myself in the garden. Obviously, I'd play with my mates and all that, but the most time I spent would have been just playing by myself and sort of teaching myself how to play to a really? certain extent. So my earliest memories of sort of thinking that this is definitely something I want to do, I probably was about seven or eight. You mentioned the picture before. My dad took me to my first ever live game of football at the Abbey Stadium. And I just, I can't remember who was it against, but I just remember the feeling of it just sort of absolutely blew my mind of being, seeing the players up so close to them, hearing the crowd shouting and singing and just feeling part of it. And I think after I left the stadium that day, I thought, I want to do that. And probably the rest of my life was spent trying to get into a position to do that. Yeah. If if you're not made president of Cambridge United, I'd be amazed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know anyone so passionate about their team it was great but um, uh, but so I was just thinking so you got packed off to Man U at 16 I'm not sure I'd, I'd be allowed to like write a shopping list at 16 no it was certainly a different a different world to where I lived where the most exciting thing that happened was the church fate every couple of months to moving <laughs> up to digs in Salford so it was a different certainly a different life I actually signed for Man United as a 14 year old yeah. and that I'd go up and stay in Manchester every school holidays and I'd also finish school early on a Friday and then go up there for every weekend. So I'd spend quite a lot of time up there before leaving school at 16 and going to move up there. I was a really quiet, shy lad. So there's obviously a lot of trepidation, particularly Mm -hmm. in moving up there, but because the opportunity of going to that club, I mean, probably even more so than it was now, Manchester United was uh, far and away the biggest club in the country for young kids if you had the opportunity to go they had the pick of whoever they wanted really so if you had the opportunity to go there you sort of right. you'd be silly to turn it down what, what was it like telling your, your, your sort of mate sorry what was it like at, um, at school telling your mates after GC at the GCSE like leavers party and like you know oh, I'm going off for an apprenticeship at the local mechanic and oh yeah I'm going off to do A levels oh, I'm going up to Manchester to join Man United <laughs> what was that like yeah, I certainly told everyone as much as I could that I played for Man United. I think I used to wear the, the jumper and the tracksuit to school every day, but yeah. I like to think I was quite grounded. So I'm not, I don't think um, I annoyed them that much, really. I think they were quite pleased for me. Like I say, it was a, there's not many, um, well, I don't think there's anyone from around the area that I live that have ever gone and played professional football before. So I think it was quite a novelty for all my friends and the people in the area, as well as obviously for me to go up there because it, obviously it's a, a massive um, pro, massive thing I'm really proud of to have represented the club at any sort of level yeah. really and, yeah, uh, and in, in your dig so we've spoken to a lot of sportsmen who have talked about their chain, like who they have to share a room with you know for away trips and stuff so in your, in your digs was it like what four or five of you all in one house or was it you by yourself or so in our digs we lived in um, like a terraced house. I don't know if you know, Littleton Road is quite near the cliff. It's where one of the training grounds are. And I can, the only way I can describe it is the first time I saw it, it was just like living on Coronation Street. It was a tiny little <laughs> terraced house. And there was two of us in there. We used to stay with a guy called John Lancaster, an amazing man. He's actually Phil Bardsley's granddad. So oh. Phil lived just up the road and his dad used to run the working man's club in Salford that was right by the training ground. So there was me and a guy called Jason Hickson, who was from Hull. So it was just us two were in them digs. And then there was scattered around Salford, there would have been about another 13, 14 lads from 
out of town, as, that, as we were called, that stayed there, that were in the same youth team. But was it was yeah. his job to make sure you were kind of up and ready and fed and, and all that kind of stuff? Or were you kind of self-sufficient? How, how it, I'm, I'm fascinated by this whole kind of like rocking up like miles away from home in some digs with some random bloke and like having them going to have to, in effect, go to work. We were quite self-sufficient. I think it was drummed into at an early age at Man United what it what it meant to represent the club, even as a 14, 15 year old and the standards are expected. So certainly we were self-sufficient in that. John used to cook us dinners and that sort of thing, treat us to fish and chips. It was my first ever experience of curry sauce when I went up to Manchester. I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. It was um, it was a real like family environment and you were so well looked after. It, it really was... Um, and in an amazing place to be that football club. Oh, sounds great. And presumably, is, is that the same across other other kind of top clubs as well? Is it a similar situation, do you know? I think it may be have changed now. To, I'm not sure if it's if they're still in digs. I know a lot of clubs have got the accommodation at the training ground and, and whatnot. So I'm not 100% sure how the how it works with digs and the like these days. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you sort of made your debut Sort of, I think it's 2000, so just after that treble winning, uh, you know, incredible era for United. I mean, what was it like when you finally did sort of break through into that first team? It must be incredible moments. Yeah, it was a, like that season where I had quite a bit of involvement in the squad was an absolute whirlwind, really. It was, it was surreal in the fact that I came back from Antwerp and when I got called back from Antwerp, I was absolutely gutted because I thought they were just bringing me back because I'd been there a while to just put me back in the reserve. So I was really disappointed to leave Belgium. When I came back, I was more or less straight in the first team squad. And it was certainly a lot different in terms of the quality and the standard every day in training. I was sort of at the end of that season, I didn't play that many games at all, really. A lot, most of them just coming on as sub, but I was absolutely exhausted both sort of mentally and physically because it was such a, like I say, it was so demanding every day in training because I weren't playing in many of the games. I'd train all the time and the training was probably harder than the games because yeah. he was obviously playing against the best team in the, in the country yeah, at the time. So it was, um, it was a, like the experience that it was, was like, it was sort of every morning you wake up and you're sort of pinching yourself that you're going into train with Ryan Giggs, David Beckham, Roy Keane and the like. So it was um, a wonderful experience. Incredible. Did you sort of like at the time? Do you sort of like assess where you are? Do you think, yeah, I'm I'm doing well here, or you know, this is really hard, or how, do you know what I mean? Like, how did how did you feel you did that season? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I think I did well. I think I had yeah. a really positive effect. But at the same time, I don't think I ever thought like people sometimes ask me saying, "Well, you're disappointed that you didn't get in the team or stay in the team." But it, I was just so considered myself so fortunate to be in the squad. And obviously playing behind David Beckham and Ryan Giggs, two of the best players that played in my position, I never expected to play in front of them. But I did feel when I did play, I had a real positive effect at times on the team and sort of making an impact a lot of the time off the subs bench. Yeah. And what, just, you know, from that Man United era, what, what's your sort of proudest moment? Have you got like a, a standout game or goal or, you know, that moment that you look back on and think, yeah, that was, that was me at my best kind of thing? I think the moment that I'd never forget was scoring a goal against Leeds because obviously it was yeah. a, a big rivalry. It was at Ellen Road and I just remember I came on at half-time because I think Nicky Buck got injured. So I went on at half-time and I just remember Paul Scholes passing the ball through to Ollie and I was just sort of 
running into the box and Ollie's had a, quite a weak shot and Nigel Martin was in goal who's probably one of the best goalies in the league but somehow he just yeah. spilt it and I remember just my eyes lighting up and I was about two yards from the goal thinking I can't even miss this and just tapping it in and just running off like an absolute lunatic so that's probably <laughs> the most memorable moment obviously I won the, the Premier League and got a medal for that but the weeks was like something that an incredible memory but maybe something you don't appreciate as much at the time because I was such a young lad coming through and you just think it's the norm probably because it was my first season this what must happen every season but it was oh, yeah. um, it was um, a great great season and obviously to be involved with that group of players one of the best squads that the club's probably had in its history and and, and did you think at that point that Ole might, might make a manager? <laughs> yeah good question No I never like obviously the ones you look at and I was brought through in a different area obviously the likes of Sir Alex where it was you maybe say old school where it was sort of yeah. it's probably I think it's changed a little now in how managers gain success it's not always sort of shouting and hollering and that sort of thing when I looked at the likes of Roy Keane and Gary Neville thinking oh, they'd be the ones that go through while he was probably a little bit more thoughtful quite quiet but you could see he was always listening he always took instructions on board really well and had such an incredible work ethic yeah. and I can see him being really successful now as obviously the game's changed I think he's got it in him to be tough and to be stern with the players but also to have that sort of emotional intelligence to know how to to deal with players and get the best out of individuals which would probably seen the likes of Pogba and Martial play their best football at the club since Oli's been in charge I suppose there is that theory isn't there I've heard that before that he, he spent a lot of time on the bench so he knew he knows what it feels like to be in and out of the team and that's quite an endearing quality with dealing with especially modern day players I suppose yeah but yeah, no. I'm sorry his accent his accent is awful <laughs> It's like a Norwegian man accent now. Every time he speaks, he's like, I'm sorry, what? What the? <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got to lose that. He can't be a top flight man. He's, he's got to go fully continental. <laughs> Manchester, he can't go in between. It's just you hear him talk, and it's just it was like Yeah, Mulby back in the day, wasn't it? Yeah, Full on Scouse Danish. Same as Peter Schmeichel has the same thing. He talks in this kind of weird <laughs> Danish Mancunian accent, but his son speaks normally. Anyway, sorry. Good analysis there, Steph. Football chat, sorry. <laughs> so, so I guess then, um, the bit that I'm interested, also interested in is, how does it, when you kind of sign then for West Ham and then and then Stoke, is it, are you kind of feeling pleased that you've, you've managed to get a club and stay in the Premiership? Or are you feeling kind of a bit inside going, oh, I wish I was still at Man U? And, and do you kind of rock up at West Ham and go, why are they doing that? At Man U, we did that and that was way better. And how do you manage that kind of, Oh, okay. I, 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 don't, I don't want to be that person. So we, we have it at work. So someone someone joins up, you know, our company. When I worked here, we used to do this. When I worked here, we oh shut up. Um, how do you manage that from a football perspective? Yeah. So so how it sort of worked with me after that season, I played a few games when we won the Premier League. The season after, I sort of suffered from a few injuries around my um, hips and pelvis, and with the one sort of or the, the outstanding quality that I had to get myself to Man United in the first place and then play for Man United was I was in, in freakishly fast for someone with my build and how I was so I could run really fast and change direction really well because of... I, I know how you feel, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I went for surgery on my hips and pelvis and when I came back, I'd lost a little bit of that 
speed. And w- without that, I was never going to be able to to play at the level of Man United because I, I didn't have the effect on the game. Like David Beckham, if he weren't getting joy with one quality, like he can't get crossing, he could go and drop and get the ball deeper and play an incredible pass. Ryan Giggs, if the fullback was quicker and stronger, he knew how to come inside and do that. Well, I was maybe a one-trick pony in the terms of when I get the ball, I just try and run with it every time. So without that, I weren't really going to make it. And Sir Alex told me that and was completely honest with me. So he said that <clears throat> you wouldn't play at Man United. It's going to be tough to really make it in a top flight, which is obviously hard to hear. But at the same time, I could appreciate it. And I, I noticed it in training where I was running past people and having a good effect before. Now I, I couldn't do that, particularly against the players I was playing against. So I was just wanting to keep playing football and have a career in the game. So I probably had to spend the next four or five years changing my style of play, of being a little bit different, of coming inside and sort of learning different ways to have an effect. So in terms of a step down going to West Ham, I didn't see it like that or going to Reading Burnley. It was just an opportunity to, to carry on playing and sort of try and transform the way I played so I could have a long career in football. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I never would have um, said, well, we ought to do it like this because that's how we done it at Man United. So <laughs> I, was quite, I was happy to to be there and sort of, it was a massive, it was, I was probably pleased to get away from Man United at the time because I knew I weren't going to play yeah, yeah. and I just wanted somewhere where, where I would play. So the mm. first day at training, what did you wear? Did you wear a Man U kit or did you just go out and buy some like non-branded, non-club kind of type kit? Sorry, say that again. Yeah, I didn't first day at training, you've rocked up at West Ham and all you've worn so far is Man U kit. Did you go out to, like, to Sports Direct and buy like, some unbranded kind of football attire or did you come in full Man U kit? No, fortunately, all the kits provided by the club. So I just rocked up in my probably dodgy jeans and jumper and then just put the um, <laughs> put the kit on that I was given. But it, like when you go to another club, obviously you quite a lot's probably expected of you purely for the fact that you'd been at Man United. So yeah, yeah, a lot of the time, a lot was expected. And also that your teammates, that's probably more from the crowd. They expect a lot from you because you play for Man U, but you, and your teammates are so interested in knowing yeah, all yeah. the ins and outs of what's happened at Man United. Because I think you realise yeah. what a huge club it is and how much interest even other clubs and footballers have got in it when you move away from it and go into another club. And, and a big debate in this kit you're given, are you given a pair of kegs as well? Yeah, yeah, you get your sloggies, yeah. I don't, I don't get that at all. Surely you'd bring your own kegs. I don't know. I mean, that's always been like that. Well, even I, mean, I go and play for Barrington now, when I play for the village team, expecting them, I have to go commando and play the game. <laughs> that's, that can't be good. That can't be <laughs> playing football. No way. <laughs> Amazing. I, get that, I mean, surely... Sorry, Tom, I know you want to... No, 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 you crack on. That's important. It's an important point, isn't it? Your kegs are your kegs. You don't want to wear a pair of kegs that somebody else has just worn. I don't wear Tom's kegs. Well, they're, I'm like, I presume they're new. They're new when you get them, but obviously you yeah. put it in the, the kit pile after the game, so... Like I, initial or something? I sincerely hope they're washed, Was that would be... Um, <laughs> yeah, but then, do you get, get, you get like, like, like your kind of initials embroidered on a pair of pants? No, they're, they're no, they're just, no. They must just put them all in the wash and then you get someone else's the next day. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm fair enough. Hey, you got me fit. I never worried about it at the time, but now yeah. I'm starting to get yeah, a bit I concerned think about it. You've, un- you've unearthed something here. <laughs> <laughs> 
The Broken Trophy Podcast. Catch us on Twitter at The Broken Trophy and on Instagram at Broken Trophy Pods. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Tom, back to your more serious football question. No, no, well, I was, I was going to ask, it, I suppose on a bit of a more serious note, but obviously at Man United, the biggest club in the world and the scrutiny that goes with that, Luke, and I know you've spoken a lot in, in recent times, the BBC and others, about sort of the, the, the scrutiny and I suppose some of the... Um, abuse basically that you had to take during your career at Man United and I mean that's obviously a horrible thing that you had to go through there I just wonder if you could sort of you know say a few words on on those experiences yeah I mean like obviously say it's a it's a horrible thing to go through but when you're actually going through it you you don't realize that I don't think because you don't know I didn't know any different I didn't know yeah. I thought maybe this is what is expected when you're a professional football this is something you have to deal with. Obviously, it, when I look back now, it was um, a real tough time in terms of off-the-pitch stuff. It used to sort of, my whole mind used to be just on that. I wouldn't want to go out that much because I was always so scared of what someone might be saying about me or someone might say yeah. to me, even though in reality it may not have happened. I think what I was trying to, the point I was trying to make when I sent out that tweet, I, ne- I never thought it would get the, reaction that it did was obviously we was in the in the lockdown period where obviously everyone's mental health fluctuates all the time and probably mm. even more so in a situation where we're all stuck in our houses and my point was just to say if I would have spoke about the things I was going through back then I probably would have dealt with it better and easier so it was more saying if you're feeling down if you're feeling low don't be afraid to talk about it it was never a case of and I think it turned into this a bit where People were apologising. That turned into the story about yeah. they think it's all over and all that. It was never about that. I was probably naive enough to just think it would be about the point I was trying to make. But yeah. all it was around, obviously, in terms of your mental health and understanding yourself and why you're feeling these things, it's so important to talk about it. So that was sort of the be-all and end-all. Obviously, it blew up and a lot more things were said, but... I hope, and the message I received, that it was a really positive message that I sent out. And I've had a lot of messages saying that it's helped people, which, again, I never expected, but that's probably one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life, to to have people message me and say how much I've helped them. So if it helped one person, what I said, then it was was more than worthwhile doing. Like I say, it was an issue that I had 20 years ago that I'm sort of over now and I'm comfortable to talk about it. So it was... I'm pleased that me saying that has had a positive effect on a few people. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing. Like I said at the start of the the episode, actually, was just you know your take on pretty much everything on social media is so incredibly positive. And I think just talking to you now as well, it's just it's it's lovely to hear, really, because I think you know there are difficulties that people go through all the time, aren't there? And if you can see someone in you know the, in the public eye like yourself talking about these things and but saying yeah it's, it's okay you know I'm I'm a normal person I can talk about these things with you kind of thing it reassures people doesn't it I think it's really special quality yeah and I think it is now it is more than ever people are being are happy to talk about their feelings more and we have to keep going with that and make sure that the kids that are growing up learn more about that so the their kids know more and it. We always move forward on it. Back when 20 years ago, when these things were happening, I was of the mindset that there was something wrong with me. Why don't I pull myself together? Why am I feeling like this? But obviously the more 
you learn about the mental health. Not every single person, no matter who you are, is going to have days when they're they're a bit low. But it's about sort of managing that and trying to stay on that even keel. Because obviously, when you're, you're you're low all the time, then you can go into mental illness, which yeah. obviously no one wants to go. So we need to try and nip it in the bud as much as we can earlier and have positive ways of of dealing with our problems. Yeah, I think yeah, interesting because I think. Um, it's the age-old thing if you're looking at someone and kind of saying, well, you've paid for Man U, you've kind of won the premiership, you know, you're having to wear other, other people's pants. It's a different, different challenge. You know, what have you got to complain about? And I think that, that seems to have been the mantra for quite a long time, which is just now slowly changing. Yeah, and I think that's probably how I thought. I was thought I'm a kid that's wanting to be a footballer. I'm playing for the biggest club in the world. Why am I getting so upset? Because it was such a sort of schoolboy's school playground childish thing that, that these people were saying but it was just uh, you could there was no way of sort of dealing with it because it was just on a TV and I was so sort of shy and timid and quiet I'd, I didn't want to bring it up and say anything to anyone because I was so embarrassed about it embarrassed about feeling low because I was playing for the best team in probably in the world at the time so it was um, it was the other chap who used to get slated by have I got not have I got news for you the um the sports one, what's it called again? I think it's all over. The bloke with the massive hair. I think that was that was before me. That was on the fantasy football show oh, with right. Frank Jason Skinner and David Bill. That was Jason, Jason Lee, and I think Jason he spoke Lee, yeah. out about it as well, saying that it, that sort of affected him in a negative way as well. And I think we have moved on in terms. Of, I don't think that sort of thing would ever happen on a TV show now. I'd like to mm. think it wouldn't, but I think obviously the big issue now is social media like we said it can be used in a real positive way but at the same time it is it's so easy for people to say the most horrendous things I think I saw the thing with Ian Wright they got racist abuse it it seems to be so easy for for someone the perpetrator to be able to do that and contact someone directly with such awful things being said yeah and it's quite if you you follow Joffre Archer the cricketer he's really good at kind of posting that up as well and going look this is what what someone sent and actually making it less faceless you know what I mean yeah Yeah. I think think people have started like Ian Wright Joffre Archer they're two great examples where they're actually just screenshotting the abuse and posting it out and then you know if you if you just like copied the the tweet or whatever it was people can delete the tweet but as soon as you screenshot it it's kind of captured it forever hasn't it so it is catch it's sort of catching or calling people out which is which is you know what they deserve at the end of the day if you're abusing another human being for no no good reason it's disgusting yeah and you'd like to think if we had this chat in 20 years time that we'd move forward even further where they wouldn't even have to screenshot it or yeah, whatever because yeah. it just simply wouldn't be wouldn't be happening at all yeah well that's the hope that's the hope that makes progress so moving moving tack slightly You've got to pick a five-a-side team. You're playing in it. You're captain. Uh, five-a-side team. So four other players who you've played with in the past, many club. Who are you going to put in your five-a-side team? Yeah, I've done this before, but I went. I've got you thrown a bit of a curveball in there because I never usually put myself in it. So you've got, I'm you've going to you've got to be in it, isn't it? I'm going to have to change yeah. it up. I'll, I'll go what I, what I usually go with. And then I'll change it up and I'll say to put me in for someone. So I usually go with Bartes in goal. Yeah. Because he was just so good on the ball. I think he'd score a few goals in a five-a-side game yeah. as well. Is he is he as nuts as he comes across being? He was like every day in training, 
he never wanted to be the goalkeeper. Like, never want to do the goal. He'd always just want to play on pitch. <laughs> like, whenever we had a game, he'd always end up on. But that's why, that's why they had to have three goalkeepers. So they had another two for training, so he could go on pitch. <laughs> he was such a bubbly character. He never didn't even speak all that much English, but he was he was always happy, always smiling. He was an absolute sort of maverick on the pitch that do things different. I think in his pom at Man United, he was incredible. I think he yeah. really lost confidence after the yeah. the two mistakes against Arsenal in that huge game yeah. and then never really came back from that. But in his early days, he was fantastic. He'd be the goalkeeper. I'd have Yap Stam as my centre-half. Not bad, yeah. Then usually I'd have Keenan Scholes as the two midfielders. And then it's a, I've always had got a tough one up front because I either go with Teddy Sheridan, who was probably the favourite player I've ever played with because he was so good at it always give you the ball where you wanted him and if you gave him a bad pass he'd still somehow be able to control it or Dion Dublin because he was my all-time hero oh, at Cambridge yeah of course to play with him at Norwich as well which obviously a dream wow. come true I probably bored him senseless asking him question after question about the Cambridge but I'm going to go with Teddy and then I'm going to come in I'm going to say this because it never, I can't believe I'm even saying it because I can't imagine anyone would ever say it. I'm going to drop Keane yes. and bring Sadwick in. Yes, yes, yeah. come on. Yeah, <laughs> I gives, can't leave skulls out. That gives you everything because you've got, um, the thing is, by, by dropping Dion Dublin, he can't come on TV and sell you a house. <laughs> <laughs> I still watch that and kind of think, bloody hell is he doing on BBC TV in the daytime? Brilliant. He loves it. All right, so you've got Keane for yourself. That's a big... Who, just, just, just while we're on those two, well, all of those great names at, at United, but who's winning an arm wrestle between Keane and Yapstam? I, re- I think Yap would win an arm wrestle, but right. I think Keane would win if they got into a fight. In the afters. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see it. I wouldn't want to try and split it up either. <laughs> he was just watching from afar, just putting money. Yeah. <laughs> Get on with it, lads. Oh, yeah. Amazing. You're going away for a, let's call it a golfing weekend. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best cover of everything. Who, who from the people you've played with are you taking out for your golfing weekend? Say like three people you're taking with. Oh, that's a tough one. No, you're not. You're not after your serious people, are you? You're after who's going to give, give no, you? No, yeah. So yeah. there's two. I'll take two from a days at Burnley because there was a guy called Glenn Little. I think he played for Reading for a spell, and Robbie Blake. They were two of the, the funniest guys I'd ever played with. But they were they had to be together. They were like a double act. It was like um, Morecambe and Wise. They was um, hilarious together. And then I'd probably take. David May, he was a funny guy and I played with him at a few different clubs and he's a he's a good golfer as well, so I'm sure he'd enjoy that, but he's a great character. I, would, I wouldn't have called David May. Do you think yeah. I'd have called Glenn, Glenn Little either, but you know. <laughs> he does all the he does a lot of the MUTV stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, David yeah, May he's now. on there quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fair play. So it's, actually that's another question. Do you get free access to MUTV, isn't it, as an ex player? No, I've actually gone up there and what? done a few games, but I still don't get the channel. To be fair, I think the first time I went up there, my um, missus bought it so they could watch me on there. So I, think <laughs> I bought a new suit and I wanted to know how it looked so they could take a few screenshots. I could add it to my um, Twitter account when I got I love it. There you go, yeah. Oh, right. What was it like? I mean, I, I, I think Tom, you... Tom, sorry. It's got, that can't be right. You're an ex-player. Surely you should get free access to TV channel. That's yeah, got, I think so. Do you, you get any benefits from having, from having played at Man U? Um, 
Like a free you um, medals in the trophy cabinet. Yeah, I guess so. Did you get a free tie or anything? <laughs> well, yeah, we used to have to wear a suit, so I reckon that might still spit me. To be fair, I think that's in the um, in the cupboard upstairs, but. No, no, just the honour of playing for the club. Oh, okay, all right, well, that, that, <laughs> that'll have to do. But you know, I was expecting some yeah. sort of like you know, like a luminized type. Was it? Was it a school? You kind of the old, the old, old boys kind of team. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <The Illumi. laughs> Man United alumni. Yeah. Are you going right. to start MU off? TV? Can we? Can we um, after this kind of kind of tweet the clip and get MUTV to give Luke like free free access for a I year? It, yeah, lifelong access subscription. Then it's the yeah. least. It's the least they can do. Surely, yeah. yeah. Come on. What's it like? I think you. I think haven't you commented, commentated rather, on a game during lockdown? Yeah, I went to. I done the Norwich, yeah, Man United FA Cup and the semi final. It was a um, strange experience yeah. to go into a into a ground, and you can sort of, particularly at Norwich, you could hear all the information coming down from the touchline. It was so strange, such a big game, and no fans there. It's obviously not what you want to see. Having yeah, said that. Yeah. The car park was easy to get out of at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> right home. But it's, it is quite cool as a spectator, actually, being able to hear the players. Yeah. And what they're shouting and what they're calling. That, that, that as, a, as, a, as a non, obviously, non-football player, that's quite cool. Yeah. And I think at Norwich, you could hear that real clear. At Wembley, obviously, the size of the place, yeah. we were so far back. You could, that was a real strange game. The Norwich game felt like a real, like a more of a proper game because of the the smaller stands and like there was a little tiny bit of atmosphere generated from the subs that were obviously in the stand and that sort of thing. But Wembley was just, it just felt silent and so soulless without the crowd in there. And I think it reflected in the, in yeah. the game really, particularly the first half, obviously Chelsea were quite impressive in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've just got one more question oh. before we let you go, Luke. And that's a question we've asked all our guests through the last couple of series of the pod. And it is, can we ask you to nominate uh, one of your maybe ex-teammates or someone you know from, from the world of sport to come on a future episode of our podcast? So if there's anyone that springs to mind that you can p- put forward, that would be great. Um, yeah, I'll say David May. I think he's quite, quite a presence on social media. So okay. try and get hold of him and get him on here. <laughs> good man, good man. And uh, listen, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's genuinely really in- lovely chat to chat to you uh, about your whole career. And like I said, just so great. Like all the stuff you're doing on social media, I think it's absolutely brilliant. So keep keep it up. Just generally, the enthusiasm is awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's just inspiring. Really. It, makes, it makes our life so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. It's been a pleasure. Lovely yeah, talk to you both. Thanks, Luke. Cheers, Luke. Thanks, all the best. Bye. Take care. The Broken Trophy Podcast. Catch us on Twitter at The Broken Trophy and on Instagram at Broken Trophy Pods. Well, that was our chat with Luke Chadwick, which we did on Monday, Steph. Enjoy that chat. It was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. I really liked it. You could kind of feel the enthusiasm coming out of him. And, you know, I still think he should be made Cambridge FC president, really. Oh, it was, his, his love for Cambridge was just incredible. And also the Dion Dublin bit. Uh, it was just you know, just you could just imagine him in the Norwich dressing room and just like quizzing him about about Cambridge the whole time. It's just absolutely brilliant. But yeah, really good. Still, still turning out like a five-a-side team when he's like your age. Yeah, well, he is my age. Oh, he's right. a, well, a year younger than me. Quite a bit older. Come on, come on. I'm only forty. Yeah, yeah, don't age, don't age me. Speaking <laughs> yeah, of which, yeah. five-a-side tonight for me. Is it? Yeah. So we've we've sort of managed to to sidestep the uh, you know the new restrictions about gatherings of six because we are an organised sport 
Now, five-a-side football, sport, not sport? It is a sport. And, you know, the reason it is organised is because we have a WhatsApp group we've decided. <laughs> <laughs> so there is some degree of organisation which goes into it. Be careful, that Preeti Patel will be calling, calling the police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just admitted to my sins. Are you having was it an animal house party or something? <laughs> yeah. No idea what that is. Well, I didn't look quite old, but yeah. An or some grouse hunting. Yeah, grouse hunting. Yeah, yeah. that's... that's about some, some, some grouse hunting outside the web on the Saturday. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Could be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to just carry some guns. It'll be fine. <laughs> just a normal night of the web, then. Exactly. Nothing goes wrong with guns and alcohol. will be fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what, big news, much more importantly than any of this sports rubbish, <laughs> the, two, the two Icelandic girls have been in the sun. I can't believe I knew it. it. I knew it. So they came, I, I think it was yesterday, I think it was, a whole article about <laughs> how, you know, and, and obviously they were known as two Icelandic beauties. Beauties, yeah. And um, yet they were kind of giving it the whole, he treated me like a piece of meat. He you called it. That. You called and it. Then, and he left me with a £55 hotel bill. Now, in Iceland. 55? Yeah, in Iceland, like a beer is 15 quid. So what kind of Oh, were they staying in as a hotel for 55 quid? Like a youth hostel or something. Oh my God. <laughs> you <get> to imagine. <laughs> that is amazing. I, I completely missed this story until yeah, you just informed me. See, I'm on top of all the big news. You really are. You really are. So Here's my new shy, I'm in the big picture stuff. I think I think you could sort of go into, you know, like that old guy, Max Clifford, who's sadly departed. Is he? he? So he would, yeah, yes, a few years ago. But he would he would suddenly appear whenever there was a kiss and tell. He would suddenly yeah. appear with the girl in question and be like, "It was a, it was a PR manager for that." Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's I think that could be your new vacation. Right. <laughs> new Max Clifford. Cheers. Thanks for that. I'll be caught some bad. Anyway, can you imagine? <laughs> well, Max Clifford might have to do a job on Saints. To be honest with you, after last night, oh. Brentford was it two 0 three 0 Well, do you know? And the worst thing about this was they actually played pretty much their full strength I know. team. So yeah. that is diabolical, isn't it? I saw a um, friend of the show, Chris from Totten. Yeah, he, um, he was there doing his doctor role, doing stats. Yeah, yep. yeah, that was quite. That's that's lost the first game of the season against Crystal Palace, and now yep. and now this. Yeah, I know it's not a good start. Is it? Season with such high hopes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got um, what's his name, Adam Blackmore, who's the local Solent Sport journalist. And yeah. he was giving it the whole. Oh, I did not see these performances coming. I think everyone was just on such a high. Yeah, from yeah. before lockdown, uh, sorry, from you know the end of last season, and uh, it's kind of gone to pot again, hasn't it? They could put in a cheeky bid for, for Bale. Yeah, well, this is it. I think there's a, there's a couple of big transfers coming in, isn't there? So Bale to Spurs, Thiago going to your mob. Yeah, Thiago would be great. Number yeah, seven. get in midfield. He'll just boss that with Henderson. Add a yeah. bit of to it. You can't, you can't, you can't moan about about hiring a about buying a player who's like, well, I crossed how many trophies in the last six, seven years. I know. Well, he's, he, wants to win. he was man of the match in the Champions League final, wasn't he? He was actually, he was really, really good. He did all right. He was, he was brilliant. Exactly. He was brilliant. I'm so, I am really gutted actually. Why? Well, because Man United are still sniffing around Sancho, won't up the, the bid for 20 million. What's going on there? It's like a weird kind of like stalker type. Oh, they're just stupid, aren't they? And like, um, kiss me, kiss me, come on, yeah. Sancho, come with me. Well, it's like someone said on Twitter, why, you know, surely you would sort of um, nail down the transfer fee at the start of negotiations. Yes, that's and if there was no, part. yeah, and if there's no wriggle room in that, then you move on. But they yeah. kept the game for about three months. Can you imagine now if the transfer window locks? And United haven't bought Sancho. How embarrassing that'll be. Yeah, but they're used to that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's pretty much situation normal every season, isn't it? It's a small club. It happens. Bale to Spurs then? 
It was, I think it's a bad Well, to be fair, he needs to go somewhere because he obviously wants his face. Zidane hates his guts. He's played all the golf courses in Spain now. So. He's done now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I just don't understand why someone who's a good, creative, flair player would want to go and work with Mourinho, the most boring manager known to man. Yeah, but I suppose it is a little bit of like, where, where else does he go? Spurs, and they're not going to win anything because they can't. Well, true. But him, him, and, him and Kane linking that will be quite exciting, I think. I mean, that'd be, that'd be like having Dad's army up front. <laughs> Kane's not even that old. What are you on about? He's broken. He's not. He's quality. He However, it, it would get a bit more, you know, cheeky <laughs> if Danny Ings moves from Southampton. <laughs> you can't be doing it. You can't, you can't even be sort of uttering those words. Southampton's so, best player. I have it on the inside. QT. Yeah. But he might be having a little, a little gander. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yes, there's stories everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's, no it's, to speak to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I heard he's um, weighing up a new contract. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's all about offline. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Anyway, NFL is back. I know you're sorry. What NFL? Sorry. What? So you know, it's great. So that started back again. Oh, great. Right. So Tom, just take two seconds. Okay. Tom, so Tom Brady, most successful quarterback ever. Yeah. Moves Good to. Name. Moves teams. Right. Scores a touchdown with pretty much his first possession or second or third possession. Right. Everyone thinks the new era's here. No. Yeah. Interceptions and lost. The oh. chap was brought in to replace him. He was, a bit, he was basically just got kicked out for being a bit rubbish. Takes the Patriots through to win their match. Oh, it's right. Like, it's all a bit up in the air. Oh, right. Okay. So is that... Yeah, is that... In like closed doors. So, that, oh, what was it? The LA Chargers, a 6.3 billion stadium, pound stadium, empty. I know. It's sick. It's pretty it? cool though. Yeah, that's what we were saying to to Luke, wasn't it? About Wembley, you know, just being playing games at Wembley. It's kind of like, what's what's the point? Because it's just it's so vast. Not just playing a small ground. Cause there's no no spectators anyway. Exactly. And then we're slapping cricket. Been a bit of cricket, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the so the men's cricket, it, sorry, the men's England cricket is finally over for the, for the summer. And lady starts today, is it or tomorrow? Uh, no, uh, over the weekend, Sunday. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, our own friend of the show, Katie George, has been called up to that England squad. The full, we the wish her all... Yeah, the full squad or one day or... To the full squad, yeah. So they're, they're playing a... I think it's a T20 series against West Indies. So Katie's yeah. going to be playing in that, which is amazing. So good luck to her and the whole squad. Uh, yeah, but the men's... Yeah, Australia beat England. First time England have lost the series at home for five years. Sacco and Morgan. No, no. You how, got, how dare you? You got cut. You got you know. You got cut. This you know the head off the snake. <laughs> We're a snake now. We're not <laughs> that bad, are we? <laughs> you know, that's the way it goes. You know, you lose a series. That's it. Oh, but it's been it's been brilliant having cricket on all summer, hasn't it? Have you enjoyed it? I mean, it's it's a bit like if you go in a coffee shop and they have background music. <sighs> that's how cricket's kind of been with the odd little flicker where you go, oh, "What's interesting?" I look look at that. Did you see? Um, did you see John Cleese wading into the cricket debate this week? No, but I saw what's his face did 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 it today in the House of Parliament. Oh, Jacob Rees Mogg, yeah. Rees Mogg about um, Vic Mark should be um more, <laughs> more than Lineker. <laughs> and a great comment, you're stealing oval team from the over seventy fives. I was like, I don't know what he was talking oh, about. Oh god. Yeah. You know, there's Brexit, there's COVID, but let's talk about um how much Gary yeah. Lineker's getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. And what what and, what's your And also, sorry, big news. Honestly, Tom, I, I, it does worry me how much little research you do with this thing. <laughs> go on, go on. What's your big news? And then big we'll deem whether I should have picked it up or not. Well, you should have picked this up. I'm, I'm actually quite annoyed with you. Go on. 
And I know you've got a cheeky little thing for her as well. You have your little soft spot for her. If Axe Subaka. Yes, Subarka I did see that. Is a goner. And Tuffers and Dawson. Tuffers and Dawson. Unbelievable. I think Dawson's been there like 16 years or something. Yeah, they've all been there sort of that's over good, a decade. Good little pension. I still remember Emlyn Hughes just. Yeah. Bill Beaumont. Yeah. Both of them was on there as well, wasn't he? Just, yeah. But don't, yeah. don't you think it's about, I mean, uh, I liked all, all three of them, obviously tough as cricket, you've got, cricket you've legend. Got, you've got to renew it, but it is a sense of kind of, you know, it's like a t- the change of the changing of the guard. Yeah. No, I agree. It's a seminal uh, moment. It's a, yeah, it's a sad Scott, time. Who? Alex Scott, a footballer's got it. What, the present, she'll be yeah. presenter? Oh, really? With the new Sue Barker. Oh, fair play. Oh, she's great. You know, yeah. she'll do well. Yeah. Any, any sign of the captains? I haven't, I haven't seen that actually who the captains are but I reckon you go out you don't go out with all three bits of news on the same day I mean you, you work in marketing Tom come on man no no, no, no. well I hadn't heard the Alex Scott news so there you go it shows shows, shows what I'm doing with my time it's match your work it shows, shows what little work I'm doing exactly yeah shocking um, you've been on the paddle boards again this week as well I have paddle board put a little photo up for you I know, I know you missed the photos well you can't have too many pictures of little boats can you exactly exactly I mean, how do you get up that early? Seriously. Well, Naomi picked me up. Right, okay. So she was like, I'll be outside your house at quarter <laughs> six with the engine running. I'm too scared of her waking up Gemma and the kids. Right. So it's more the fear factor. Yeah. Get up and then go. Yeah, I suppose that will do it, won't it? Yeah. Because you would be murdered. And to be fair, either she was okay with the Neil McKenzie pod. Yes. Or hasn't listened to it. Right. Right. Well... You know, let's get her to listen to it. And if she still talks to you next week, then okay. that's a bonus, isn't it? Yeah, I'll message her now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think I think we've addressed all the main issues of the week, don't you? I think we have. Uh, Icelandic strippers. Yeah. Youth hostels. Sue Barker. Uh, Max Clifford. Max Clifford. <laughs> all, the key, all the key errors. No, I think we've I think we've nailed it. So uh, until we speak again next week, all the best. <laughs> have a good week. Yeah.